You're listening to Queers, a podcast about politics and culture with Simon Copland and Benjamin Riley. Hi everyone, Benjamin here. This week we have something a bit different for you on the podcast, uh, an interview and one that digs into a lot of what we regularly talk about. As I mentioned last episode, I've been in South Africa this past fortnight for the International AIDS Conference in Durban. While I was there, I met Keenan Russell, a trans man who ran the conference's only session on transmasculine folk. The session was amazing, basically a bunch of transmasculine identified folk sitting around and getting to talk about issues they have to deal with, often specifically in the context of gay male spaces. I interviewed Keenan about it for a story that was eventually published in the Star Observer, which I will link to in the show notes. And our discussion quickly got into some really interesting areas. I do need to put a warning on this one. The discussion is pretty full on. In particular, Keenan discusses sexual assault and rape and experiences of gender dysphoria. If you need to talk to someone after listening, you can contact LGBTI phone and web counselling service QLife from within Australia on 1-800-184-527 or by visiting their website qlife.org.au or you can call Lifeline on 131114. Keenan also runs a sexual assault and rape support group for trans folk who were assigned female at birth, which you can request to join. Contact them on Facebook by searching for Keenan Russell, and that's spelled C-I-A-N-A-N-R-U-S-S-E-L-L. Okay, enjoy the interview. So, I guess... Uh, first of all, I'd be interested to know how the session came about. Um, frankly, I wanted to come to this conference. I submitted a session. I didn't talk to anybody else about what was going to happen until like last week, uh, because really what I needed to know was who was going to be here. Uh, and it really didn't coalesce until the day of the session or the evening before when the handful of transmasculine folks that were here got together and you know, sort of made eye contact and they were like, oh, okay, you know, here's, here's the thing that's going to happen. Um, even going into the session, I wasn't really sure what the best format would be, and so right before the session started, there were like four of us sitting there, and I was like, I was thinking about these two options, uh, what do you think? And they were like, oh, let's go with this one, and so that's what we did. Um, and I think that sort of speaks to the problem at large, which is that um, we're sort of forcibly making the only space that exists at this conference in this one hour and trying to make it so that it serves needs, but the, the needs aren't even really going to get discussed. You know, we're not at the point where we can talk about our specific needs because we're not at the table at the moment. Uh, we were relegated to an hour and 15 minutes in the trans pre-conference. Uh, uh, one presentation in the MSM pre-conference as part of a, an hour and 15 minute session, but not the whole thing, one presentation, uh, and then one hour on Monday. So that's two and a half hours of attention that trans men will receive in the entire conference. Uh, and so part of it was just about trying to create a session that would get people invested in what we're dealing with. So my idea was to make it as personal and emotional as possible so that it didn't just make people want to take a nap. I wanted people to come come in, hear from us, and leave 
emotionally peaked. Mm. And I feel like we were able to achieve that part of least. Sure, I was, I was saying to Aiden that it felt almost uh, voyeuristic, you know, kind of like I felt privy to this very intimate space. I mean, is that a. It, it seems like a kind of confront, potentially confronting way uh, for, you, for you as individuals to, to start begin start to begin getting attention. I mean, how, how, was, how was that for you? Um, for me personally, it was actually really quite difficult. Uh, I hadn't planned to talk about my rape experience, and then I did. And I ended up having a bit of a dissociative post-traumatic stress episode afterwards that lasted me the rest of the evening, and I, I think I pushed myself a little, mu- little bit too far. Um, I, I feel like everybody felt a little exposed uh, from the conversations that I've had with people, but um, I also feel like the, the folks who were there and the positioning that us, that we have in this kind of activism makes it so that we know that we have to be that vulnerable at this point, that we're not, we're not a statistically significant population when you're looking at key populations. We have to make it about emotion. We have to we have to pique people's emotional interest because we can't do it with numbers, um, at least not yet. Uh, there are no numbers, so we have to go a different route. And I think everyone who entered that center circle yesterday Monday knew that that was what was going to be happening on some level, and so we were all relatively well prepared for it. And I I had really intentionally not planned to talk about rape. Had had I not talked about rape, I would have been fine. It was just. Uh, context did you know did you know the other people in the group um I knew Joe obviously I work with Joe uh and let's see who else was in the circle I had met Jay Nico and Adam the day before there were six of us in the center that's only five who else was there Oh, and Aiden. Oh, and yes, I, I'd, yes. Met, I'd met all four of them the day before. Yeah, wow. <laughs> so, no, wow. we didn't know each other. And that's also part of the problem. Like, I posted in a few different places in advance of the conference just to be like, hey, is anybody going to be at this? Uh, and just didn't have the right connections. Um, I had already, I'd always planned on roping Joe into the conversation, but I wasn't really sure what was going to happen other than that. I knew there would be other transmasculine people here, and we just weren't connected in a way that made it easy for us to communicate in advance. Um, so no, I didn't know any of them beforehand. Uh, I mean, were there things that came up for you other than, you know, obviously the, the kind of trauma that, that came up, I suppose, unexpectedly? Were there things that came up from other people or, or themes that came up that you that were unexpected? I mean, that, that you that you feel like you haven't had an opportunity to, to talk about in that way, in well, that kind of space? I think those are different questions. Um, okay. Were they unexpected? No, not at all. We talked about everything that I thought we were going to talk about, and sort of at the depth that I expected us to talk about it, it wasn't necessary. Like, I didn't have a roadmap planned out for how to get to those things, but we didn't talk about anything that I didn't already know was an issue. Uh, the separate question is, are there... Are there spaces to talk about this? And those are very limited. Uh, when talking about trans men who have sex with men, uh, one of the one of the com- confounding issues is that a lot of us don't have sex with cis men because cis men are unsafe. Cis gay men are terrible to us. 
the misogyny alone in cis gay male space makes it so that we just can't participate. We're unsafe, we get sexually harassed, sexually assaulted, we get told that we're not men on a really regular basis, uh, both in person and online, on gay apps, and so we just don't engage with cis gay men. Why would we? Uh, and so that means then that you've got trans MSM who really only sit with other trans men, uh, and those folks are um, have a different, completely different set of issues than trans men who sit with cis men. Um, and we're all sort of sharing the same, the same online spaces uh, because it's a niche identity and trying to sort of talk about the way one, you know, how, how, you, how you envision your queerness and also who you're willing to expose yourself to emotionally and intellectually uh, at the same time. And so being attracted to men doesn't necessarily only mean being attracted to trans men, but that doesn't preclude only dating and sleeping with trans men out of an attempt to maintain personal safety and appropriate boundaries. So um, there, there really are limited venues. Mm. Um, there are a couple of really good Facebook groups um, and when there are transmasculine focused conferences, there are always spaces that we generate in, in those conferences. Um, and then, you know, in the big cities, you'll find small groups of gay or queer trans men congregate together. Um, one of the things that happens with trans men is that we go, uh, we go self really often because uh, we can and sort of remove ourselves from having to face some of the. Uh, stigma and discrimination that keep other groups of trans folks centralized. Sure. Um, and that happens in gay, for gay and straight trans men on pretty even distributions. It's, it's hard to say. You know, we don't, we're not as centralized uh, as we could be in which is part and parcel of the identity that we have and the thing that brings us together. It allows for going self and then when one goes stealth, it decentralizes the, the conversation. Sure. I mean, I, 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 I get the sense almost, and, and I, you know, um, tell, tell me if you, if you disagree, that there are, um, it's almost like two sets of related issues when we talk about um, trans men and, and MSM spaces and HIV, that, that it's kind of, there's sort of service provision and, and, and discrimination, like often very direct discrimination uh, or indirect discrimination in, in um, you know, health services and, and those sorts of spaces. And then there's the more kind of social, sexual aspect as well. Um, I mean, I, I suppose I'm, I was particularly interested in the way that the, that second set of issues were, were coming up in, in the group discussion. I mean, at what point... I mean, how do you even start to kind of bridge the gap there with, like... Like, there are sort of clear pathways, even if they're difficult ones, to making change in, like, service provision environments. Yes. But in those social spaces, I mean, how, like... How do you Where even do you start to have start those conversations? Yeah. Um, I, Frank, personally, um, yes, there are two completely separate issues, and one of them is much easier to address. I agree with you 100% on that. Uh, and I think the place that we have to start on addressing... The sociocultural issues are is in um, our development, transmasculine development of our agency in the context of interacting with cis men and cis gay men, and that is a long, long, long road. Uh, I'm going to try to explain this, and I don't know if I'm going to do a good job. So, just as a preface. Um, The validation of identity uh, for trans folks is a really important part of transitioning. Having other people recognize us as who we say we are 
uh, and uh, validate that through the ways that they interact with us. Um, there's a particularly complicated issue when you're trying to be validated as a man uh, in a world that is exceedingly phallocentric, uh, highly prioritizes the needs and desires of men over the needs and desires of everyone else, uh, and um, teaches women and girls to be silent in when confronting or being confronted by men and boys. Um, there are really complex conversations about socialization that are just beginning to happen. Um, and part of what makes them complex is that they intersect with identity in a way that can undermine the whole conversation. So if you say, uh, I, as a transmasculine person, was socialized as female up until a certain point in my life, what does that mean? What does it mean to be socialized as female? Um, when does that start and stop? Uh, what impact does that have on um, the person that I am today? And it, does that change with time and distance from transition? And then the other side of what makes it complex is um, that trans-exclusionary radical feminists use that argument as a way to undermine and invalidate the identities of trans women. Um, and so we're having conversations that are at odds with one another and that are really difficult to navigate. Um, I need to be able to talk about the impact of being a little girl and told that my voice didn't matter as much as little boys' voices. Whether I identified as a little girl or not, I internalized those messages uh, without having uh, that invalidate the identities and lived experiences of trans women. And I feel like we end up fighting amongst ourselves instead of at this point because of the way the trans-exclusionary radical feminism has centered on this one idea um, that ends up invalidating everyone's experience. And I have been told by a variety of people that I was not socialized as female and that if I am a trans man, then I was always a man and I was socialized as a boy, and I don't think that that's true at all. Um, that's not to say that I think that trans women are socialized in the same way that non-trans boys, uh, boys and men are. I don't think that their socialization is the same, um, but I do think that my socialization is also not the same as cis men and boys' socialization. Uh, and I think there's a long way to go in making space to have that conversation with enough nuance to acknowledge its lasting impacts. So, to bring that back around to the social, socio-cultural problem, um, I need to be able to talk about how misogyny in gay male space directly impacts me. Uh, whether I look like this, pass, as a, as a man, uh, every day and all the time or not, uh, the misogynist... Um, Sort of psychosocial dynamics impact me, impact the ways that I feel and do not feel safe in spaces, impact the ways that I can and cannot use spaces, uh, impact the ways that communications in and around those spaces feel and sound to me. Uh, for example, um, there's an extraordinary amount of uh, vagina phobia in cis gay male space. 
it's used references to vaginas in ways that are deeply derogatory and just get thrown around because nobody has one in this group of people. Um, additionally, the word bitch is like top of the vernacular and, and we use that word to put each other down because women are less and because we don't give a shit about women. <laughs> My apologies. We do not care about women. Uh, and um, The place that I sit with this is... I believe that cis gay men, because they are not trying to be in romantic and sexual relationships with cisgender women most of the time, don't actually learn what it's like to be anything other than cis men and have no sensitivity uh, to the needs and identities of anyone that is not a cis man. Uh, Cis straight men at least have to interact with cis women to live their lives. They have to be sensitive at the very least to their one cis female partner. But cis gay men don't do that and are woefully incapable of interacting with cis women, trans women, or cis, cis uh, or trans men because of that. There's just the, the, the cultural primer is missing. Uh, and they think because they can have their beard, let beard women friends that they've figured something out, but they treat them with as much misogyny as they treat us or any other woman that might not want to interact with them. Um, and I don't have any idea how you solve that. It starts with talking about it and making clear that that is the direct cause of my rape experience. It's the direct cause of the sexual assault experiences that I was talking about in the session of the trans men. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Okay, here's the situation. Our daughter Mia is leaving for her first sleepover. We have friends coming to stay, and we just got a puppy. So I go on Instacart and solve everything in one order from Kohl's. Fun PJs for Mia. Oh, new bedding for the guest room. And a vacuum cleaner that actually picks up pet hair. All delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. With Kohl's on Instacart, there's no such we can't fix. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum order. Additional terms apply. I know that live in New York. Um, it's, it's the direct cause because cis gay men think they should have access to our bodies because they are not cis male bodies. They think they should be able to do whatever they want with our bodies because of male entitlement. Uh, and, and we, those of us who do experience female socialization, don't have that entitlement and also don't have the functional agency that cis men have. And it, so it creates a really upsetting and deeply difficult power dynamic that I've...
agency development is where I was trying to go in the beginning. I feel like that's one of the first steps, and that involves talking about what happens to us and talking amongst ourselves about what we get put through honestly and in ways that don't cape for men. Fortunately, part of the problem, uh, and this, is, this dovetails with itself, is that um, because of this sort of psychosocial uh, oppression, um, many trans men who uh, are attracted to men um, want so badly to be validated by those men that we will take anything and everything from them uh, if it means that we might still have a, a thread of belief that validation is around the corner. And the number of trans queer uh, men and trans masculine queer folks that I've heard standing up for cis men when those cis men are berating or in other ways invalidating trans men is extraordinary. We we don't have the agency. We don't have the, um, the social tools that are necessary to help us just not take an inappropriate amount of shit. Um, and it's, it's all intertwined with our dysphoria and uh, the ways that our gender identity make us want to be like these people uh, and the belief that if we just let them do this then eventually they will accept us uh, and obviously these aren't global ways of interacting with cis gay men amongst trans men I'm not trying to say that we all do this um, but that's part of it and so how do you how do you what, where do you I, your question where do you begin I don't I don't know the answer to that I don't I don't have any idea um, I know part of it part of what's been really important for me and for the other uh, trans masculine folks that I that are part of this group is I've created an online um, sexual assault and rape support group only for assigned female at birth trans people um, there are about 50 people in that group now and um, as far as I know it's the only space dedicated to the particular impact that sexual assault has on the transmasculine psyche. Um, we need to develop tools and uh, healing mechanisms that focus on the very unique trauma that comes from having your body valid, invalid, or your body violated at the same time as having your gender identity invalidated uh, by the bodies that you believe you should have it's a it's a very different problem than from my experience any other victims or victims or survivors of sexual assault are dealing with I'm not in any way attempting to say it's harder but it's different and it needs a different response mechanism in place to help us heal because we're healing from a, a trauma that I don't think other survivors of sexual assault uh, understand. Unfortunately, that answer and all the other answers I have are sort of post facto answers for how to deal with the, the damage that's caused after it's already been caused. What does preventing the damage look like? Well, it looks like cis men taking responsibility for patriarchy, misogyny, and... Uh, male entitlement and working to undermine and deconstruct those things on their own we can't fix them I can't teach cis men how to not be the awful thing that everyone who is not a cis man knows that they are 
I can't do anything about that. Uh, they have to decide that that's what they want and do the work themselves. I, I don't know how to engage that beyond being willing to put myself and my mental health at risk to share my story if I think it might be helpful. And that's why I decided to do the session that I did and why I decided to disclose my own rape experience in that session. What was particularly traumatizing for me, and I think this is part of what I want to be sure to address, is I've only talked in person with cis gay men who are not my partner about my rape experience twice. And both of those times, uh, the cis gay man that I told about it told me it was my fault. Uh, and... So it felt like a really confrontational decision for me to make, especially when all the people that were sitting across from me, like there were like five sort of would have been circuit boy muscle, muscle men uh, staring directly at me. And those are the men that told me that it was my fault. That told me that my body caused this to happen to me and that I should just buck up. And... Um, That's when you when you've had that kind of trauma experience, then repeating scenarios like that brings the trauma back. Uh, and and I, so that how do I have these conversations with the people that need to hear them when those people are also the ones that are telling me that it's my fault, that my body doesn't deserve the protections that uh, I believe that it deserves, that I shouldn't be in gay male spaces if I don't want to be touched. Uh, because that's just how cons you know, consent is the thing that we can enforce. It's all bullshit. It's, it's lazy and selfish. And I can only say that so much before I just become the angry trans man and get shut out of the conversation entirely. That was long. <laughs> I mean, I kind of just want to like transcribe and publish that <laughs> I, I, I mean I, do, I don't even know God we we don't talk about misogyny in gay male communities I mean it just doesn't happen like the idea of I just had no fucking idea how to like actually move that kind of a conversation forward and to I don't know you know I have, I have a few um, uh, trans male friends and, and I, I, I suppose I'm just kind of talking to you reflecting on uh, the ways that I becoming a bit like fucking therapy or something but you know um, I don't know the ways that I uh, am very you know conscious or, or, or unconscious at different times of, of wanting to be very sort of like mask with them and wanting to really like almost like like hyper masculine in, in some ways and I, and I, I wonder I'm thinking reflecting on I guess my own that that probably is bearing out some of my own latent misogyny in, in that in that process. And I, well, I, and you bring up something interesting, which is it's it's not like trans men are exempt from misogyny either. 
Like, we all grew up in the same context. All of us have these misogynist underpinnings in our psyches. All of us. Cis women, trans women, cis men, trans men. We all have them built into our, our psyches. And it's just about who's wielding the power in the interaction. Uh, because part of, I mean, part of what has happened with this, again, this recent sexual assault experience in New York is trans men saying these things to other trans men. It's not just coming from cis men. You shouldn't have been at this party if you didn't want to be touched. So this you was the, the, the story that you mentioned yeah. on Monday. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we, it's, it's part of how oppression works. We internalize messages that are directed at us whether we want to or not, and then we replicate that trauma on everyone else. And I think it's particularly true when talking about all already traumatized communities, we react from a traumatized place, and trauma begets more trauma. Uh, you know, I, so, I, yeah, I, I feel like a lot of cis men, when they're around me, get hyper-masculine and interact with me in ways that, are, that they really don't interact with each other, or they act in ways that they are not um, and it takes a long time to digest and navigate and pull apart all the pieces that are in there um, and and those are things that are I mean it's a, it's, it's a cultural disservice against you as much as it is against me that you feel like the way to in, the way to validate my identity is for you to become something that you are not, and for you to become hyper-masculine to, to make me feel like a man. That, that means something about you, like, and what you have been told and what you think being a man is for you. Uh, and I just give you a new place to play that out. Um, but that's trauma against you as much as it is against me. That, that's that's in this conversation. Sure, I mean it's it's it's, it's um, internalized homophobia uh, among other things. I mean, I, I it is so. I don't think uh, in in lots of part of kind of broad queer communities we do this sort of. Um, actually, I don't want to say that. I, I'll say in, in gay communities specifically, we don't do um, this kind of self-reflection well. We, we, we don't do a kind of... Uh, and, and whether that comes out of um, uh, I don't know, people dealing with their own trauma or or just a kind of... You know, that we have these kind of dominant messages in the community of like, you know, pride and you've got to be like, you know, you've got to be really positive about your identity at all times and you've got to be celebrating it even if we, you know, deep, deep down feel really fucking awful about ourselves I mean do you have any thoughts on I mean I guess I can just go back to the same question how do you even begin to start doing what is essentially like individual and then local community level and then like like social level like deconstruction of your own experience and identity and, and emotional self yeah um, I mean I think it's the same I think we can take some interesting um, lessons from start back over. 
I feel like there are a lot of movements right now that are all asking very similar questions. Black Lives Matter movement in the U.S. is asking exactly the same question. How do you uh, force the hand of a dominant and powerful group to recognize that their dominance and power doesn't just hurt the people that they are repressing, but also hurts them? Because it's easy to be and remain comfortable. It's easy to interact with our privileges in ways that are um, unquestioning and um, to accept the things that we're given when those things are easy, when those things improve or benefit our lives. and I feel like the the answer to your question is somewhere in showing people how it hurts them at a community and individual level to enact internalized homophobia, to enact sexism on ourselves and each other, uh, both among gay men in the way that you talk to each other, uh, and outward from the cis gay male through psyche um, and I think that's a it's a long process and it has to start with community discussions and with um, vulnerability and ownership like that's where it has to start there's nowhere else for this conversation to take place. It can't be, you know, let's develop a book or, you know, take this training because the, it's, it's not about that. It's about getting at the things that hurt and pulling them apart and taking them out again and looking at why they hurt and unlearning them. And, and that that's individual and it takes commitment and it takes someone saying, I think this is wrong and I want to show you why I think this is wrong and how now recognizing that it is wrong has made my life better. But I've taken this rock in my chest out and now look at look at look at what you can be and it's hard but I'm honest now. I'm emotionally available now. I kind of think it ultimately unfortunately slash fortunately if this if something ever happens of this it will completely deconstruct how cis gay men interact with each other because part of what you see regularly maligned in cis gay male space is I got tired of the hookup without love I got tired of just fucking people in parks and bathrooms and I'm looking for a partner who cares about me and loves me and sees me um, and maybe I continue to do the hookups in parks and bathrooms because physical needs are still present, sure, but getting to that place where you recognize that you are not getting what you need and then trying to look for what you actually do need, it it takes you realizing that you are missing something. You can't be told that you don't understand uh, because you don't understand. (laughs) Uh, And so I I, I don't know. I wish that I I knew. My priority, frankly, is on is in attempting to protect other transmasculine assigned female at birth people uh, and support those of us who have already been 
attacked, traumatized, and nearly destroyed by our interactions with cis gay men uh, and build us up. I don't have the time or energy to worry about cis gay men. Um, and I wouldn't be able to do anything anyway because at the end of the day, cis men aren't going to listen to me about what it means to be a man. It's part of the power dynamic. It's part of my side. That's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed the interview. As always, we'll be back with a new episode in a couple of weeks, which you can find on queers.podomatic.com. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes. Just search for Queers. And please uh, leave us a rating and review the podcast. It really helps people find us. In the meantime, you can catch me at Ben C. Riley on Twitter and catch Simon at Simon Copland on Twitter. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. 